0: Welcome back to the Queer Circle, where queer healers step up to the mic to share their stories and what they would tell their younger self. Today's guest is Dr. Marlena Gasper. She is a black queer doctor of traditional Chinese medicine, practicing integrative medicine and nutrition with a special interest in treating imbalances resulting from trauma inflicted on people of color and so much more. Welcome, Dr. Marlena.
1: Sure, I came into the world yelling and screaming. Uh, I have evidence of this. My daughter came into the world yelling and screaming with zero tears until she looked me in the eyes. So I imagine that my daughter is repeating my pattern. I came into the world. I like to describe as north facing. North facing people are very very interesting. I know that I chose my parents. My biological mother was the daughter of a Jamaican secret witch, which means that on this New York soil in Jamaica Queens, where we grew up, it wasn't appropriate for her to speak of what she had learned and what she had experienced as a child growing up in Jamaica. It doesn't mean that she didn't impart some of her secret ways but it was very much a coded language my mother was a nurturer and a caregiver and a lover and a teacher and she taught within walking distance of where she lived so all of the children that learned from her during the day got to see her on the weekends and see her in the community and so she wasn't just a school teacher she was a teacher a teacher-teacher, just a human in the world that loved children and loved people. And my biological father, that was an interesting man, he was the son of a notorious number runner. And he was misunderstood. And he always felt that there was something missing. And he was very, very handsome. And he was mathematically inclined. And so I came to this earth to encourage their legacy around acceptance boldness curiosity but also to do the work of healing their traumas around infidelity success and strength now there's this term that's so popular right now in uh in social justice circles and education circles and it's called uh intersectionality and it's such a poignant term because it's accurate and it's spot on. So, I would like to share with you the intersections of my origin, of my birth. So, I was born at the intersection of Pro and AIDS, hip hop in the urban leagues crisis here, Christianity, and Rastafarianism. Alegua, the Orisha of the roads, gave me. Many paths for this particular earthwalk, but on each road I face north. What's important to note: north-facing humans are warriors, protectors, trailblazers, and trendsetters using tools, logic, and steadfast forward thinking, only yielding to emotion when it's true, authentic, and necessary. As a north-facer, I take my emotions and I basically put them in a satchel or in a purse or in a designer boot or wherever I can tuck them away so that I don't have to use them as I'm doing this work so that when my, the emotions come up and it's present and it's real and it's necessary. I know that because I am inclined to use it in not the way that, you know, people just care their emotions everywhere, but that's a different conversation. My path to healing started in, at around near age three, and it was a series of unfortunate events that led to some pretty amazing outcomes. I did not know that it would lead to those pretty amazing outcomes at the time that first event it, keep in mind i was three <laughs> i hit my mother's domestic abuser with a, a rubber mallet um right in the forehead in the middle now my three-year-old brain said oh his brain's just splattered on the windshield but that's not what happened because i was three and this thing was heavy um And it fell more than it whacked because I couldn't swing it back hard enough to whack him. But nonetheless, I got him good right between the eyes, y'all. Something in me knew, And so I hit him with this rubber mallet. And then event number two, I was uh, sexually explored by the pre-adolescent girl next door. And uh, those two events subsequently incited a slurry of after effects and I'm the result of what happened. Then again, my healing energy ignited at the age of six when I prophesized the death of my mother predicting she would contract AIDS and die before I could establish myself as a woman. I remember asking her what it was when I first heard it. It was probably very similar to what a young child would ask about coronavirus in 2020 and wonder if it has anything to do with their existence and what it means for a world that they already didn't understand or have full access to. So. I was asking at age six about this disease because I needed to understand it. I knew I needed to understand it because I knew when I heard it, it was the thing that was going to kill my mother. Um, And when asked why I was so curious about it, I, instead of saying, because it's the thing that's going to kill my mother, I said, I think I made it. I think I created it. And they thought I was crazy. So I never talked about it again until I got my mother's diagnosis and I sat at her bedside and we talked about the time that I was asking her these questions and she remembered. And she also shared with me at that time that it made her feel uneasy and it made her feel like she was approaching uh, something dark. Uh, I hope that I've healed my mother. Uh, She passed in 1994 and a lot of the healing work that I do is around healing. Um, The traumas that I inherited, the traumas that happened to me, and healing my lineage, because my ancestors will be strengthened and fortified and recovered. And that is why I chose acupuncture and Chinese medicine as a method of healing because it encompasses all the ways of being of life for healthy living, right? Like my healing story and the story of my birth shouldn't so easily be turned into a Chinese medicine PSA, but we're talking about movement and nutrition and awareness and the ethereal soul and the connection between the mind and the spirit and honoring your prenatal essence that's honoring your ancestors this medicine has all of the healing modalities that we need in some way embedded inside of all of it and uh, it's given me a way and permission to access that code and heal my DNA and when you heal your DNA you heal it upwards and you heal it downwards so that means you heal your ancestors and you heal your future generations by protecting them from trauma and disease a too grown too soon black girl is a threat to society and herself 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 early realizations of my queerness or my sexual identity or any difference from what it was supposed to be. It's hard to say when you knew you were different because you don't know you're different until you have something to compare it to. Or you're one of those people that swears that only something can be happening to you and not happening to any other human on the planet at that moment or at that time, that means you're the type of person that you meet someone that you have something strange in common with and you're like, I thought I was the only one. You really can't. There's like 8 billion of us on the planet and we shoot out vibrations all the time to attract the things and people that are like us. So if you feel that way, you probably should just pay a little more attention because you attract all your clan to you, all your tribe, you draw them to you. But society teaches you that those differences are wrong so you tend to figure that out really soon that how you feel is different and in in my case after I was sexually explored by the girl next door who who was my friend who clearly was having some experience um, of something happening to her um, who should not have been allowed to be alone with me in the first place and not because of any type of sexual attack but because she was a little kid too who leaves a little kid with a little kid and expects things to be okay we could have set the whole house on fire so there's other issues embedded in that but essentially I, I don't like to use the terminology that I was touched inappropriately because if she knew better, I know in my heart of heart and soul of soul, she would have did better. And I knew, I by three, I knew what inappropriate touch was because my mother's boyfriend was beating her ass and beating me and my siblings as well. And there's nothing more inappropriate than getting beat with a comb or dragged or, you know, thrown So when the girl next door touched me, it was more like, we shouldn't be doing this because we're two little girls sharing a secret. And I am definitely not an advocate of any type of inappropriate touch or any experience that leaves a young child of any gender or any sexual orientation feeling vulnerable and scared and ashamed. And she would touch me. And I did not feel any of those things about shame or difference or disconnect until I told. And when I told, I was condemned. And that's when I actually started to feel some type of regret, doubt, or shame. And so later on in life, when I had to confront all of these topics, it left me feeling more like I should have been protected throughout the entire process of disclosure and not just made to feel as if I'd somehow made a bad choice as if I should have pushed her off of me. This older child that I always had playtime with, I should have done something different as a three-year-old. Those are such wild expectations. But my early realizations of uh, sexual identity are not all traumatic, right? We all have that one experience that pretty much defines what we're going to like in the bedroom and in my case any room but i saw uh, vanessa williams issue of playboy and by the time i saw it she was vanessa williams the first black miss america so i was looking at the black miss america and all of her glory and it was beautiful like it was okay I'm a black girl she's a black girl she's pretty I'm pretty I like her parts I didn't know if I wanted to be her be with her but it it was definitely a, a rousing riveting experience and that's when I realized that this thing between my legs does more than just pee and pee everywhere because with all my traumas I was a bed wetter um for quite a while. Um and then actually I remember I went to bed that night. So that might have been my first wet dream. And then of course now I can't just look at the Vanessa Williams part because, you know, I'm 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 awake now, I'm alive. I'm realizing that there's a vagina, there's breasts, there's all of these things happening. And um I flip the page and then I see some girl on girl action and I'm like, oh, okay. Okay. Like I I got these images and I'm holding on to these images. Um, Like no one, I've never told this story in any type of public forum about the Vanessa Williams issue. But until that thing was taken out of my grandmother's house, I looked for it every single time. And I didn't understand why we had just that one issue. Um, But I know now it's because it was the Vanessa Williams issue, and I still wish we had it because it'd be worth so much money right now. Fast forward, I met a girl when I was 15, um, and uh, I was just, I had just graduated from high school, so maybe I was 16 or so, 15 or 16. I just graduated from high school. I was in college, and so I'm around older girls who are different because some of them have already had children and are going back to school. I went to community college, so it was different than girls that live on campus. These were city girls who rode the train, who had their own money, had their own lives. And um, I had already, by that time, had sex with boys, uh, plenty of sex with boys. Sex with boys, I should not have had. Some of it pressured, some of it, consent consensual if if a 16 year old can give consent and um when I saw this girl my clitoris thumped and I did not know why and I could not understand why and I also could not make it not thump anymore and I brushed it off and then I had my first sexual experience with a woman, maybe a couple of years later, because I couldn't brush it off for too long. Um, and I'm at at over forty now. I look back at that experience, and I kind of want to tell that young woman to hold on to her sexual identity, but also like just hold on to. Don't stop. Don't try to prove you're not gay by having a lot of sex with a lot of boys. Like it's not going to prove anything you will just be a girl that had a lot of sex with a lot of boys that still has a sexual attraction and a sexual preference towards women and also don't feel like sex with boys is wrong or bad because you know boys are cool sometimes they turn into men and men are cool men are great especially black men so shout out to all you black men out there and don't get so caught up with the gender identity love who you love and be loving And love who you love and be loving. It's just a cycle. Love who you love and be loving. I gotta say, yo, I'm my hero. Me, I'm my hero. And I'm my hero because I just spent way too much time being brainwashed as a young Black girl that I wasn't strong, that I wasn't worthy, that that at some point, Somebody should save me. Uh, somebody else should think for me. This idea of somebody, some man coming to rescue me on a big white horse. Um, and then if you had one of my aunties that was semi-woke, she was like "Whoa!" She would call it just a big black horse. But she was still waiting for somebody else to come and rescue her. And I, I couldn't live like that. But Part of how I have my my identity, my self-identity as my own hero is because I do have some role models um, in real life and some through art or literature or uh, cultural exposure that really help to influence my form of thinking. And so one of those heroes is Asada Shakur. Her autobiography is transformational. Um, I read it around age sixteen, seventeen, and this woman who was uh, wrongly accused, she was a freedom fighter, but she wasn't larger than life. She was a mother. She was a lover. She was a regular woman who was tired of the circumstances and sent out a vibration to attract her tribe, to attract people on the same frequency as her. Um, to positively affect change on a local level and and on a global level. And I just thought that her life was important enough to have this book. But even beyond that, her story was important enough to be shared with me to awaken something in me. And I remember reading, I haven't read it for some years now, I should go back and revisit it soon. The very, towards the very end where she is having visitation with her daughter and the exchange that she had with her daughter and how she didn't wanna have those types of exchanges anymore, she was in prison. And the next thing you know, folks, she wasn't in prison, just like that, because she wasn't gonna do that to her child, she wasn't gonna live her life in someone else's closet. <laughs> proverbial closet or cell or whatever. She just wasn't with it, and I'm not with it either. So, bam, hero number one. Then, uh, although my current practice is uh, stabbing people for profit or setting them on fire, depending on how you put the needles in, um, I was a literature buff. I have a actually a bachelor's and. English and creative writing, and a master's in English and creative writing, shout out Morgan State, go Bears. Um, And I really was truly, truly immersed in the literature of James Baldwin and Amiri Baraka, and for very, very different reasons. Um, James Baldwin was such the underdog, being uh, a gay black male writer, um, not being able to just express that so directly in his writing and how that was another form of oppression Um, as he's trying to write a liberation story for black humans as a whole he couldn't fully write his liberation story because his sexuality wasn't widely accepted appreciated and so i just feel like james Baldwin made a a huge sacrifice by in which he chose his culture and he chose his people as opposed to his own intimate desires and his own intimate satisfaction and fulfillment because of the love of his people and i and i i so rock with that and i so vibrate with um just living in your purpose to the extent where if there's something conflicting, making the choice to be of service um, for the whole as opposed to service for the individual. And I think if all humans vibrated like that, just with that intention, that you wouldn't have to ever really sacrifice your individual self because your willingness to do it would be balanced by the rest of the world's willingness to do it. And so everybody would make more responsible choices. And I think that's how I was thinking when I was a little girl. And that I love that in this stage of my life, that form of idealism is back in me because that that's like my life force. That's a good place to be, to have the optimism and hopefulness of a young child and still be the age that I am and knowing what life is like. So I hope that I can inspire maybe some of those too young, too grown, too soon black girls or any color or any gender for that matter. Just anybody that you know has lost a little bit of their innocence to not see me as a hero but to just take my story and use it as a piece of their hero story and i do have one unlikely hero and it's an indirect hero but he's a real person but he's not my hero because i've read up on his story um so uh i love literature and i love poetry and i love music and i love dance so i love uh for color girls not the Tyler Perry version. If you just thought that, like, don't talk to me for, like, 17 seconds. If you thought the Tyler Perry version. I'm talking about the original uh, from, from our daily departed sister, Tozaki Shange. And I love um, the Lady in Browns part where she is talking about her first love and she met him in a book and his name was Toussaint and that was her first love and he was a Haitian revolutionary now any group of people that can march folks to the ocean and tell them to hop in because this is our land and you ain't finna take it they're my kind of heroes so uh, Toussaint represents, for me, uh, a kind of uh, fictional amalgamation of the values that I represent. Like, yo, hold the line, hold your own, protect your family, protect your border. And anybody that's not with that can get marched to the ocean. Damn, I love that value. I love um, the fact that yeah, representative of someone's first true love that they found in a book Um, So I love books. I love reading. Uh, So that kind of energy I'm attracted to. And the fact that this was inside this amazing body of work um, written for me because I'm the color girl that she was writing to about and for. So Haitian Revolutionaries in particular um, is part of my hero love story. Because remember, y'all, we get to make it all up and live the life that we want to live. Whole lot. Remember that? So, with all of my heroes, just, I just have this belief you love hard, you fight harder, you tell it like it is, you stand in your truth, and you heal. You heal thyself, and you heal others. So this idea of death uh, and when asked how exactly did you become a healer I don't know if anybody actually becomes a healer. You are you aren't. Then it turns on and you got to use it because if you don't heal you're not a healer whether you have the capacity or not. But for me death has been both darkness and light. I've experienced a lot of Death, the death of my innocence, the death and decline of my mother shortly thereafter, the death of my grandmother shortly thereafter, the death of my biological father, and death in the community, death of friends. uh, And consistently, every death left me feeling scared, uh, left me feeling... A little bit voiceless, left me feeling unprotected, left me feeling unsheltered, left me feeling abandoned. And those are all um, emotions that are part of the human experience, but no human should have to live in those emotions without light, without hope, without love, without being safe not just feeling safe, but without actually being safe and being protected. But for me, every time death approached, every time death took something, it left something behind. And now in my walk of life in 2020, I'm able to really see clearly what death left behind every single time. It took something from me, Uh, which I now am very clear that I know that that is the basic balance of yin yang theory, because there's yin within yang, yang within yin, yin within yin, yang within yang, and they're ever interchanging. So if death takes something, it has to leave something because that is the cosmic balance. And what death left in me every single time was my ability to heal greater and to come forth stronger and to have a specific anchor point as a source of energy and a source of strength and a source of knowledge to be able to work through and heal others. So in my practice, I do practice standard acupuncture, TCM, for those of you that know exactly what I'm talking about. But I also practice intuitive acupuncture, sometimes referred to as shamanic acupuncture, esoteric acupuncture, whichever title you want to give it. But it takes uh, your physical state into account. And I definitely am using the energetic principles and the science of Chinese medicine. But I'm also using the spiritual access point um, because I'm working on healing your spirit or activating your healing energy for your own vibration, for your spirit, as well as helping to bring your body back into harmony or cure disease. So one of my specialties is I recognize grief that is attached to the loss of a mother or the loss of a parent. I'm really able well to tap into that grief and help to transform that, help the patient really work on transforming that and if you don't want to be called a patient you can be called a client or you can just be called a human that's you know rocking with another human and getting some good stuff for your body and soul and that is actually a specialty of mine to help work through grief and to rewrite your mothering story and to um, help to eliminate uh, issues around abandonment and detachment, because that's what the loss of a mother predominantly will do. And uh, mother grief stays trapped in the lungs, um, because grief stays trapped in the lungs. And then, but this grief also transmutes into your sexual activity, um, and it leaves you mostly feeling breathless and powerless in your sexual relationships. And I'm able to identify and help do healing work that involves, uh, deep breathing and womb cleansing around that. And, uh, that's what the death of my mother left me with, right? An amazing power to, um, help other little girls heal that, whether it's the little girl on the inside of a grown adult woman or an actual little girl (laughs) that, um, has recently lost their mother there's um healing in that for the little people too when um death came again and took my grandmother uh I didn't I don't I can't even say to this day I'm recovered my grandmother was my best friend um and so um, her death left me knowing about um, how to cross to the other side because I love my grandmother so much that it took me forever to even refer to her in the past tense and that was the first time that anybody in my life honestly had ever seen me be vulnerable and so it opened up a lot of access points for um my tribe my community and my friends and family to water me and nourish me and love me um because i'm usually in warrior mode Um, with armor on and I can't see that. Remember I told y'all I came to the planet facing north and the death of my grandmother left me completely completely defenseless armorless and um, I had to trust and I was able to extend that trust and honestly I wasn't able to. I didn't have a choice because her death left me so vacant and empty and I got to see how my community could show up for me. And it, it wasn't perfect. Um, it still isn't perfect. I got to see how my family shows up for me. There's still some, you know, family family struggles. But what family don't have that? Um, and I got to see myself outside of warrior mode. And that was the first time that I met a softer me. That was the first time that I met a, a, a disenchanted me. That was the first time that uh, I honestly I, I had open tears in public. Um, and at first I was like, I don't like her. She's way in her feelings. Let's tuck her away somewhere. And then part of me was like, no, she is part of you and she has to be seen and she has to be nourished. So the death of my grandmother left me a full complete personality it left me with more tools to be able to be in the world and to exist in community with other people i didn't have to yield armor anymore i i if i inherited her wit i inherited her savvy for managing resources i now had a a reason to always say you know well what will my grandma do um, and to think it through so I, I inherited her logic I inherited her nurturing everybody that loved her now wanted to love me and they wanted me to love them the way she did and I mean she basically was a saint a mean one but but one nonetheless right and everybody was expecting me to love like her and although at the time I thought it was unfair damn thankful that they raised me to her bar. They raised me to her standard because trying to meet that standard every day leaves me living an extraordinary life in which the people around me know that I love them and they are readily receiving of my love, right? And um, so that was powerful and her death left me with that capacity. The death of my biological father, I don't know if y'all ready to hear this, but I hated that man when he walked the earth and I hated him because he abandoned me. He rejected me. He left me alone. I'm watching TV. Don't let your kids watch TV, y'all. Don't let your kids watch nothing that you do on screen first, because the images that are being downloaded to them leave them feeling empty sometimes. So just please be mindful. I'm watching just anything, and there was, I didn't have a father i'm like well where's my dad like how come my dad's not here how come my dad's not doing this where's my father and then you know 80s culture and 90s culture is all about men bashing so here i am with the absence the absence of a father right because that's a real thing i could feel the absence it'd be different if he just wasn't there and it was like oh well he's not here i don't know it he wasn't there and i was very aware of his absence so that absence takes up space it's an empty container that just blocks your access to things because I'm so obsessed with why he's not here and what that means about me and making it mean something negative about me and so as as he was walking the earth I hated him because I felt like he hated me and that's only fair right because you should not make your life decisions based on your three year old conclusions that's just bad math But anyway, here I am walking around as an adult being guided by a a bruised three-year-old. And I was in lecture very, very early in my um, studies for Chinese medicine, and um, Professor Wilcox Lorraine, who's brilliant, (laughs) was talking about prenatal essence. And prenatal essence is, you know, not, it's not a really far off concept. You get essence from your mom and essence from your dad and you get it before you're born, right? So I'm, I'm kind of tuning her out because I feel like she's just talking about coitus, sperm, egg, fertilize, go, right? Pretty simple concept. But as she started to continue her discussion, something in me started to resonate that my father's still alive my father's still alive because I'm still alive and my father's still alive because I can remember him. And I started to just write him a letter and it, I didn't call him by father at first. I called him by his name because how can I call you my father? You're a stranger. Uh, you know, I've only seen you four or five times. You hurt my feelings. Um, so I called him by his name and then I just started to say, look, Do you want to be my dad? Because according to all of these Chinese medical theory, you're still my dad. Death doesn't make you not my dad. And I still need a dad, right? And thank the heavens, I've been blessed with um, uh, another father who I still have to this day, who still actively fathers me. But it didn't, it never erased the absence that I felt. And then his death didn't, I just finally decided that his death didn't mean that he couldn't be my dad anymore because if i could still feel him then he's still alive and this is my i believe in this with my whole heart so i say show up dad you want me to call you dad You want me to call you father you want me to call me papa what do you yeah. want me to call you tell me and show up be my dad because i still need one and wouldn't it be dope if i had a dad on earth and a dad in the ether pulling strings for me so come on dad like i need this Right? And I was dead serious. Um, and I said, Look, I don't I don't know what your walk of life was, and you're not here to tell me. But I do know the conditions that I was born into. I can't ima- even imagine what you were born into, because it's supposed to get better every generation. And hell, it was shitty for me. So <laughs> you know, it must have been crazy for you. So can we just forget all of that? And You know, part of maybe the reason you was far away from me is because you just didn't know how amazing I was, right? Because maybe you doubted yourself the way sometimes I doubt myself. So I don't care about nothing from the past, show up, be my dad, that's that, right? Wrote the letter, went to sleep, and I still say my prayers at night. Um, And then of course, having small children, I say my prayers with them. And I started saying, you know, and God bless grandpa. And then the kids would be like, "And God bless Grandpa." Then they would name their grandpas. And I started adding the the this Grandpa because he's Grandpa too. So he had to show up everywhere. He had to show up for the babies. He got to show up for me. You know, at this point, he got two ex wives in heaven. If you believe in that, I'm sure they're giving him the blues, right? So I waited, and I did not wait very long. So I was, you know, financially down on my luck got a check from his estate that I knew nothing about I was like okay that could have been coincidence (laughs) then I started noticing name tags and I started noticing that I'm dealing with clerks with his name and it would happen like three times it would happen like three times in a week and I'm like okay I'm starting to notice I would get um, started connecting with family members on his side that all like just started finding me on social media. And I was like, all right, well, I did say show up. So thanks. Um, and as I started to get more into my work, that is why I started to get more into my work of um, ancestral healing and uh, healing generational curses because he showed up. And so his death left me able to cross the line and not cross the line like I can go to the other side. I got people. (laughs) I got people on my earth walk. I got people on my spiritual walk. I got my ancestors that are working for me, just like I'm working for my descendants right now in this time and space. And I've been through some amazing situations in life where um, I've just been putting myself in making bad choices or life has made the bad choice for me and um, renewing this relationship with my father has, has healed that line and it's helped me to deal with uh, broken families. It's helped me to actually keep my children's father in their lives since he and I are not together and have wildly different beliefs about everything at this point but um, that's not a source of conflict because I know how important it is to have a father and so keeping him ever present in my heart as their father when what I wanted to do was keep him ever distant from all of us forever um, but knowing that I can't replicate that in my children. And knowing that it's all right because I got a daddy on earth and I got an awesome sky daddy that will fuck you up if you keep messing with me and I get to walk that walk and feel it. There's nothing like being being a strong, powerful queen. But knowing that these kings anchor you and got your back, that's just powerful it makes me so obnoxious sometimes, <laughs> but not all the time, just sometimes. And I, I, I deserve that. I deserve to feel like I'm going to be protected no matter what. Um, and it was my the spirit of my father that, when I tried to kill myself, said, I told you I was going to be here, so I'm here. And I just couldn't believe that of all of my ancestors, that my grandmother, my very best friend, and my mother, oh, the girl of my dreams, uh, didn't come forth when I was flatlined. It was my father, my mother's husband, and my grandfather, my mother's father, that came through and sent me back and said hell no and um that was really what I needed to one help me embrace a lot of things I embraced my sexuality after that point like wow this is not a like I still have men in my life if I'm not married to a man if I'm not in a sexual intimate relationship with a man I still have men in my life I'm not gonna be that weird lady that lives with a hundred cats and another lady still pretending that we're just friends right I mean no disrespect shout out to y'all because that's, that's what y'all had to do at that time this 2020 we don't gotta do that no more tell the world that's not your friend that's your lady um but like they just freed me from all of that and sent me back to the earth and I was born again in that moment born again with a, a whole new outlook for how I want to walk this walk Um, and, uh, those medical bills disappeared too. So I know that some ancestor that's good with money was fixing things. Thanks, pops, uncle, granddads. Thank you. So, you know, it's not just the ethereal that, um, has helped me with my healing. There's some real physical, tangible things that, um, what happening to me to help pull me into this space that I'm in right now. And this is a beautiful, beautiful space of healing and growth and optimism and care for others and transformational future work and um, living a life that you love. And part of it was giving birth because having the thing that sucked up all of your natural resources be ripped outside of your body will put some things in perspective. Right. Or, Literally caring for a whole nother life that is reliant on everything that you do, not just a few things, not just the things you clock in for, everything that you do impacts this other life, whether you gave birth to it or not. I mean, the act act of nurturing and parenting um, from a mother or father's side, from a masculine or feminine energy is a divine act in itself. And if you don't get closer to your, to your truth and closer to your God, the God in you, or the God in the religion of your choice in the process of parenting, uh, you're not doing it right. Yeah, I said it. Um, I guess I'm judging you. If, if, if it doesn't activate that in you, you're not doing it right. So just go back to the drawing board, get help, seek counsel, do whatever you have to do. Because that's, that's what the point is. That's, that's the only point is to do this part right, the parenting and the nurturing part. Uh, Breastfeeding, man, the science of breastfeeding, like, it makes you feel good. Your body betrays you, puts all these hormones in it, in the milk and in the act of breastfeeding, so you do it more. And then to have this little soul that you're responsible for, looking up at you the whole time, eyes wide open, like, I see you. yeah. (laughs) <laughs> you got to you got to make sure that what you're reflecting back to those eyes is, is is full of what's right and none of the filler because they are literally drinking it in, right? Like literally. Um, being a teacher and a lifelong learner again. Once it, once the child has your trust, you have to be so careful with what you say and do because they remember it, they hold it. Um, you're shaping them they're shaping you so you have to reflect back to them the basically the adults that you want to interact with in 10-15 years because if you do it wrong you still don't have to deal with these children they won't be children anymore and you may or may not like who you're dealing with so um the act of teaching I was a career classroom teacher uh, for over a decade and um And my specialty was English, literature, writing, and special education. Uh, So you had to be very, very delicate with those particular souls because they were already facing so much adversity. Uh, Getting in touch with my religion, um, and not just my religion, the religious beliefs of uh, a lot of world religions, just finding out what people believe in their spirit, uh, acupuncture, get acupuncture, right? Just get acupuncture. For those of you that get acupuncture, you know exactly what I mean when I say, oh, "just get acupuncture." It, you don't have to go in there with a problem. Go in there, get on the table, and <laughs> pick a good, a good acupuncturist, and they'll just know what to do, and it'll, it'll really start to help your body line up your vibration. We have all these thoughts. We're organic beings, so we have we have a collective soul, we have a communal soul, you know, the combined soul of um of the people that we live with, all of that acupuncture really does help your body align all of those things. And it's not it's not just a spiritual practice. It is honestly a spiritual practice that's happening inside your body, and your body is the beneficiary of this practice. And even for those of you that do not believe in acupuncture, acupuncture is not religion, people. You don't have to believe in it for it to work. (laughs) It believes in you because it's science and it works. So just go ahead and do it, please. Um, I love poetry. I love open mic poetry. I even love bad poetry um, because it's somebody putting their heart on their sleeve and saying their bad poems. I will tell you it's bad poetry, Um, but it's okay. But, you know, I'll tell you. Um, And I I love, I love, I love sex, healing sex, right? Like, um, survivors of sexual exploitation are not supposed to like sex. No, that's not true. (laughs) I love healing sex. Sex inside of the safe space with a safe partner. Uh, And when I say safe, I mean it on every level. Emotionally safe, physically safe. Um, disease safe, right? Like really healthy sex where you're exploring the depths of your your physical self, um, where you're manifesting energy, where you're exchanging energy. That is a a beautiful connection. And that has definitely been part of my healing journey. Um, Sometimes I have moms that seek counsel and They're not having sex, and I'm like, well, you know, you know, that's part of the problem, right? Your vagina does two things: it um gives birth and it has sex. And you stop doing one of them, so put your vagina back to work. You'll be a better mom, I promise. Um, and I I have a matrix of healing modalities, right? Like, uh, nutrition and and uh, crystals and. Barking, howling at the moon, and gardening, and going to the water, um, but mostly just wanting to heal others, and knowing that um, oh, I endured these things so that you don't have to, um, is really resonates high with me. So that's that's been my that's been my light in terms of all of the darkness. And if I had a time machine. I can't say that I will go back and change any of it because it wouldn't leave me in this time and space to be able to prevent it to happen to others. And just like that spirit of James Baldwin, if I suffer a little so that more people don't have to suffer at all, then that's the choice I'm gonna make. You would be surprised the number of people that look in the mirror and don't actually see themselves. There's so many reflective surfaces all around us, it's a consumer-driven culture. The whole idea of the selfie is uh, looking at your reflection, and there's so many people that don't really see themselves. One of one of my most revered uh, techniques of healing that is more along self-care and and self-discovery is mirror work. And when you do mirror work, you have to get in your own face um so mirror work is actually trending in popular culture right now because of Issa ray and for those of you that uh, have seen her show um shout out to Issa ray shout out to insecure Issa is in the mirror and it starts off with her doing her rhymes she's you know getting in touch with her in an MC is more than that. She is confronting her truths um, in this mirror work. And that's not something new. That is a, a pop culture interpretation of a very, very powerful uh, self-healing tool. And the way in which I practice mirror work is I get in front of the mirror and I notice that at first, when I haven't done my mirror work for a while, when I get in front of the mirror, it is very superficial. I start noticing um, scratches or scars or maybe a bump or a hair or something that I hadn't noticed before. And then it also, it tends to get critical at first. Like, why do you look like this? Why have you not addressed this? Um, yes, Definitely. Call your dermatologist, call your dentist, call your co- call. your cosmetologist, call your esthetician. I make every excuse to call somebody about what I'm seeing in the mirror. And so I notice that that happens, too, when I haven't been really diligent about my mirror work. And um, when that fades, the desire to look into my own eyes starts to emerge. And the desire to give myself permission to feel whatever comes up emerges the desire to talk to myself emerges. And in those conversations with myself, I'm able to have some brutal honesty with myself. And then after a while, the honesty is not so brutal because then I remember to be impeccable with my word. I remember that I'm always doing my best even when I don't feel it. And that if I acknowledge that I'm doing my best, I'll actually do a little better instead of seeing everything that I'm not doing. And I get in that mirror, and I tell myself, I love you. And I tell myself, I'm angry with you right now. And my reflection will honestly say, well, why? Because I'm you. You can't be angry with me and not angry with you. So what's going on? Because who wants to walk around angry at themselves? Um, A lot of powerful dialogue. Because whether you know it or not or believe it or not, you're all walking around with this ongoing internal dialogue. It's, and a lot of your internal dialogue is fear-based and it stops you from being present in conversations because you're talking to someone and you're also talking to the voice in your head that's talking about what the person is talking about And now who do you respond to? The person that you're talking to or the voice in your head and that negative Nancy is always causing trouble, right? Like, so we're always trapped in this kind of internal dialogue. Mirror work puts that internal dialogue on the surface and it holds the both of yourselves accountable for it so that you can say more loving things and use your internal dialogue not as a way to have this fear-based presence But to have a very supportive. And nurturing presence. Uh, So mirror work is super important. Super important. Uh, We all have read the fairy tale. About mirror mirror on the wall. And uh, the mirror reflecting back. A truth. That that evil queen. Didn't want to admit. So that concept of mirror work. Is not new. And it is not a fairy tale. It is a viable tool because when you can stand in your own truth you are really unstoppable you really can accomplish your goals you really can make effective change you really can be vulnerable you really can make a difference for your life for the life of your family for your children for your lover for your companion for your parents right i'm not talking about i'm not talking about just the big stuff Um, I'm talking about just the day-to-day little things too that are smaller vibrations or fractals. Um, Fractals, uh, I forget the author's name where that text comes from, but it's emergent strategy and her last name is Brown, but I don't remember her first name. And she discusses fractals, these smaller actions that you can take to impact really big sustainable change. Um, and mirror work is one of those things because it's you and you and so you're able to get yourself together real fast um, and then the other you know thing that sustains me um, is um, nutrition access can we talk about nutrition for a minute uh, like really how is organic produce and water, a privilege. That is one of the most asinine concepts um, in on the planet. And it pretty much is the reason why the planet is so screwy right now. Because b- blocking access to something that grows from the earth, when earth and humans are the same thing, is astronomically absurd. It's ass backwards. Um, In a single word, it's stupid. And in a single series of explicatives, it's stupid as fuck, right? Let me explain this. No matter what theory you're looking at, no matter what religion you're looking at, there are numerous references of the relationship of human as being Earth. Ashes to ashes, dust to dust. That that uh, biblical reference, being molded of clay. Um, clay comes from the earth. For those of you that think it comes from the now defunct Toys R Us, uh, there are just too many references in TCM theory. Man is earth. It's uh, in, it's impossible to believe that we don't have a direct connection and therefore a direct right as we live and breathe to positively interact with the earth and be the beneficiary of the fruits of that earth. It is for every human that is on the planet. The entire earth is for every human. And that includes clean water and produce. Everything on this planet in some form or fashion comes from a tree the earth you are entitled to these things and so nutrition is definitely one of the major access points that i use in healing others and for healing myself but it's not just nutrition based i need every human to understand that this is their right so that they act accordingly we all act based on what we know to be true every action that we perform is rooted in what we believe is true So, I need for every human on the planet to know that this fundamental truth if you are human, you are of the earth. Period. So, you cannot deny access to your fellow humans. You cannot deny them access to the earth. It is their fundamental right. And it is a fundamental right that we should be protecting. We should not be embarking in any activities that block someone else's access to the earth because it is against humanity and you will see the effects of it we're living in the effects of it you see it in racism you see it in poverty you see it in impoverished children you see it in in test scores because you know the children that are malnourished underperform because you can't really do shit when you are hungry people You just can't. Uh, People are starving. Um, And if you don't believe me, don't look at the people where you can visually see starving. Look at your 600-pound neighbor who, for some reason, is always hungry. It's because they're not eating any nutrients. They're just eating filler. And that's why their 600 pounds is still hungry. And that's not okay because that person is not doing anything positive for their life. Or positive for the lives of the people around them and that person lives in your community and so we are all responsible for each other in that way so if we all just share this fundamental belief that organic produce clean water is a fundamental human right not to be and no action that you perform should deny that right to anybody else you will see a transformation of astronomical epic proportion. It will be the biggest transformation. It'll be the healing energy that the earth needs, not just individuals, not just your 600 pound neighbor, not just your auntie suffering from diabetes, not just you know your granddaddy with the prostate cancer or your little cousin that has ADHD, which is also a nutritional imbalance. It'll help with all of that. And when I say help, it'll eliminate it because when the food is right, the people are right. Conversations are interesting because as much as I think I'm having conversations with other people I'm really having a conversation with myself all the time um, <laughs> but I want to have more conversations with other people not just with myself <laughs> And the reason I say all of that is because until I really have this one very important conversation with my inner child, all conversations, I'll be looking for this message that should come from me and should be given to me in the most gentle way because I am worthy of being loved and being loving and so it's important that I check in on my own healing as I work on a healing space for others so if you're listening I would like to invite you into a very intimate conversation that I would like to have with my inner child and if you are interested in how to facilitate a conversation with your inner child hopefully this gives you um, a model or a template So if I looked back at three-year-old Marlena or six-year-old Marlena or even 16-year-old Marlena, a too-grown, too-soon Black girl who is a threat to society and herself, I would say, look, little girl, don't sacrifice your tenderness. The world needs it and stay off the pills. Just because your doctor prescribed them doesn't make them good for you. And I would tell her, thank you. Thank you for surviving long enough for our healer cells to be activated so that we're no longer just surviving, we're thriving.
0: Thank you, Dr. Marlena, for sharing your journey with us. And thank you, listener, for being with us today. Dr. Marlena's work and in community involvement is extensive. We've included Dr. Marlena's full description of her educational background, business ventures, community, and healing work on our website, QueerCirclePodcast.com. To learn more about Dr. Marlena, check out her website, MarlenaGasper.com or her Instagram, at dr.marlena.gasper. Music from today's episode was provided by Purple Fluorite. You can find this album and Purple Fluorite's other works anywhere streaming it is available, Spotify, iTunes, and beyond.